Bill, as we begin this podcast today, uh, before I get to this article, I want to ask you how the writing is going with you putting Uh, together your systematic theology. Well, thank you, Kevin. I am actually now on the second chapter, which is on the doctrine of Scripture. And this has proved unexpectedly interesting. It always seems to, once you start digging into these topics that you think you know. Um, So... I've been trying to sort out the relationship between revelation and scripture and then attempt to discern what does the scripture teach about itself. In other words, is there a doctrine of scripture to be found in scripture? Hmm. And that's a question that is quite distinct from the question of the epistemic justification of that doctrine. Do we have good reason to believe that doctrine? These two questions are often conflated, but I think it's very important that we keep distinct. What does the scripture teach about itself? And then do we have good grounds for believing what the scripture teaches about itself? And so the part I'm working on right now is the first question, what does the scripture have to teach about itself? And this digs into the doctrine of inspiration uh, and its character and the theories of inspiration. Very good. Bill, have you estimated how long this is going to take? Have you set a timeline for yourself? I've allotted myself 10 years to Ah. do this. Now, if it gets done more quickly than that, I will be delighted. And I have to say, Kevin, I never anticipated that it would be going this quick. Mm. I've already written the first chapter. I'm well into writing the second chapter. Usually I study for months and months, even years before starting to write. And so I'm just astonished that I'm already writing on these topics. And so it's it's going much more quickly than I ever would have thought. Well, it's not a weekend project. This is going to be (laughs) multiple years. Good deal. We're glad that's going well. Looking at an article from Christian Post, Bill, that talks about what Tim Keller says about uh, where we are in the culture today, I've noticed just anecdotally that modern secular culture, the secularists, they want a strong morality, but they don't want Christianity. Mm -hmm. They want uh, certain things that have made America really a great country, but they don't want the Judeo-Christian heritage that has made it. They kind of want their cake and eat it too. Am I on track here? Oh, I think so. I think it's quite incorrect to think that we live in a relativistic culture that has abandoned moral absolutes and doesn't believe that there are objective moral values and duties. I think that it's very easy to show that there is a deep sense of uh, objective morality in our culture. And this comes to expression, especially in demands for social justice and uh, condemnations of racism uh, and uh, homophobia and, and other sorts of moral judgments. He says that modern secular culture is on a march to evangelize Christians Sunday schools, church services, youth groups are are therefore no longer enough to inoculate Christian children from its new gospel without God. And this is uh, from Tim Keller. 
pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. We've talked about Tim quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that that America is now at a point where the only sin is to tell people that they sin. And traditional Protestant catechism needs to better prepare Christian children to thrive in a world where they are constantly bombarded with the new secular gospel on social media. In a sense, Bill, that's right. It's also that secular culture on social media is very quick to call out wrongdoing. Right. The Me Too movement, uh, yes. social justice and things like that. So there, it's, it's almost like there's a clash of what they want. They want morality, but they don't want you to tell them to be moral. Uh, it's kind of confused. I don't know. It, it is very odd, isn't it? Because they definitely make a, a moral condemnatory judgments on other people in calling them racists and homophobes and misogynists and so forth. They're, the, the, the public square is aflame with these sorts of moral condemnations. And yet at the same time, there's this widespread and prevalent attitude that you shouldn't judge other people morally, particularly don't judge me. Um, And there is, I think, an incoherence and a hypocrisy here, uh, whereby people feel, feel very free to morally judge others, but they get their backs up if anyone judges them. Why do you think that is, Bill? I mean, why can't they see that? I guess it's just a matter of uh, a certain group or individuals thinking that they're right and that you're wrong or that the other, you know, the opposition is wrong. And so they just want to preach how wrong the opposition is. Yes. Without a lot of forethought. Yes. I, I remember seeing a political pundit on television recently where he said, Today, the debate between the progressives and conservatives on both sides is not a matter of saying that the other side is mistaken. It's that they are bad. They're evil. And so these moral condemnations are hurled in in both directions. And as for the hypocrisy and inconsistency, I think it probably comes from the unlivability of relativism. Uh, People have given lip service to relativism. They've been told that uh, there are no objective moral values and duties, but that flies so strongly in the face of our moral experience that people can't live that way. And so as a result, you have this sort of deep incoherence in people's belief and behavior. And Bill, Tim Keller goes on to say, Roughly speaking, every other culture always taught that the truth is something outside me. It could be family, God, uh, dying for my country, and to be a person of honor and worth, authenticity, and things like that. You had to find that truth and align your feelings with the truth. Now the understanding is truth is inside you. You go inside to find the great depths, and then you come out and you tell everybody else uh, that you— (laughs) <laughs> have to now accommodate me and and my truth. I thought we had won this battle. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with Tim Keller here, although I have learned to be very skeptical of the press in reporting people's opinions. They, they love to take things out of context and emphasize the sensational. 
And there are other statements by Keller in the context of this article that indicate that he sees that there is a deep incoherence in secular culture. That on the one hand, there is this kind of truth is subjectivity, but then on the other hand, there is the affirmation of objective moral values and duties. So I think what we've got in our culture is not an abandonment of moral objectivity. Rather, we have what uh, William Watkins has called the new moral absolutism, where it is a new cluster of moral absolutes that are held to. And these would include things like tolerance, open-mindedness, racial equality, and so forth. These are the new absolutes uh, and the old traditional ones like uh, obedience to authority, for example, respect for authority. Those have now been largely eclipsed in secular culture. You still hear, I've got to speak my truth. Uh, I'm speaking my truth. Go ahead and speak your truth. And you can blame Oprah for a lot of that because she's really uh-huh. big. She's really big on speaking your truth or me speaking my truth. And I may be jumping just a little bit ahead here, Bill, as uh, as far as the solution. But do you think that part of the solution would be to just to point that out, to get back to kind of what we were really talking about in the church and as apologists for a while, the correspondence view of truth and a, a good, robust definition of truth and, and pointing out that they are, they're inconsistent in their making a truth claim. Yes, I think you're right. And I also do think that there is still this prevalent attitude about truth being subjective, being my truth and so forth. But people can't live that way because it becomes very evident that they don't think, for example, that the truth of white supremacy is legitimate, mm. that some that is not on the same level as my truth, uh, which is racial equality. And so they condemn uh, people who they perceive to be white supremacists, for example. So there, there's clearly, I think, an affirmation of the objectivity of moral values and duties. And I think what we have to do is to try to help people see that that's incompatible with truth as subjectivity. And then secondly, to ask what then is the ground for the objectivity of the moral values and duties that we all recognize and share. Just to wrap up the article, he says that we're the first culture, not only that does not believe there's truth out there, but that it's all subjective. Also, he says it's the first culture that doesn't think Christians are the problem. Uh, Bill, I guess you'd have to be from different parts of the country to see this really in action. And he's in New York City. I'm sure he sees every stripe of liberalism that that would happen, you know, either on the East Coast or the West Coast, because probably in uh, where you are in the South, where I am in the Southwest, we don't see that as much. Uh, We do see it in the media, but yes, you know. But the culture is a little bit different, so people may not be aware oh, that this is a lot different. You're right, Kevin. I this is not something that one encounters in one's everyday conversations with people, but you do encounter it, as you say, in the national media, uh, which seems to 
be committed to this new absolutism. He says post-Christian culture is based on liberation from Christianity. If you go to China or Africa and you're talking to animists or Confucianists or people like that, they may think you're wrong. They may even want to kill you because they feel like you're imperialistic. But modern secular people are actually saying the thing that we need to be saved from is the idea that we need to be saved. Yeah, because people don't see their own sin, their own moral failures. They're so ready to judge others and turn a blind eye to themselves. They're, they're like the people in Jesus' parable who see the speck in their brother's eye but don't see the log in their own eye. Um, and Jesus condemned that sort of hypocrisy. We, we all need to engage in self-examination first and to see our own moral shortcomings before we too readily jump to condemn others. Bill, down at the end of the article, Tim Keller says that the only sin is to tell people that they sin, which means the only way to be free is actually to liberate yourself from Christianity, which means our modern secular culture is not just post-Christian. In some ways, it's actually very Christian because it has all the same Christian values, but it wants them without God. Now, this is what we said at the beginning of the podcast. And, Bill, this is, I guess, the biggest uh, paradox or inconsistency here. What we need to press people on is the foundation for the moral values that we all share and all hold dear, such as the intrinsic value of human beings and the immorality of gratuitously harming another person. We all hold to those moral values. And so the question is, why? on an atheistic secular view, do those values obtain? Why aren't they just a matter of culture and personal opinion that cannot be um, imposed on someone else? And there are, our culture is deeply conflicted because they do want to make these kinds of moral judgments about others. I wonder what Tim Keller means Bill, the whole gist of this article is that Sunday school is no longer enough for today's Christian kids, that they need, what, uh, even more training (laughs) than your typical Sunday school, Uh, to to really be aware that there are voices that want to evangelize them away from Christian evangelism. And so, he, you know, it's about young people he's concerned with as well. Keller must have more to say about this that isn't disclosed in the article. I'm reading here from one paragraph where he said, I wouldn't change the doctrine. The Bible is the Bible. It's all the same doctrine, but how you present it has got to change. Otherwise, we're not really inoculating our kids to the culture. And what I would like to know is what sort of different presentation does he have in mind? The article doesn't say. He he holds to the same doctrine, but he thinks there has to be a change in our presentation of it to kids. And 
Unfortunately, it's not made clear in the article how that would be done. That's the tricky part. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've always tried to do that. You tried uh, uh, in the 70s. You were, you were innovative in reaching the young people where they were, you and Jan, where they were. I remember doing, doing the same thing. The message doesn't change, but we, we tend to adapt to where the culture is so that they can hear us. Yeah. And boy, as you get older, that starts to kind of leave you behind. Uh, Perhaps yeah. what he means is that we need to do more than just teach Bible stories and Bible doctrine, but we need to engage with the voices of our contemporary culture and to begin to address these issues in our Sunday school classes and youth groups. We need to talk about uh, critical theory, as we have, Kevin, talk about uh, racial uh, and social justice and um, about homosexual lifestyles and things like this from a biblical perspective. Maybe he thinks we've just um, got our heads in the sand and aren't engaging enough with the voices in our culture. And if we do that, then maybe we will be more effective in preparing our kids to confront these challenges in high school and college. Bill, how do you think the work of reasonable faith can help in this endeavor? Well, I think that apologetics ought to be front and center in this endeavor. I I mean, what we've been talking about here today, Kevin, is so germane to the moral argument for God's existence and to the superiority of a theistic um, moral theory than any sort of naturalistic moral theory. So that's very germane. And then, of course, giving arguments for a theistic worldview, if successful, will completely undercut the secular naturalistic worldview that would oppose it. So it seems to me that equipping Christians in the arguments of natural theology are very, very vital. Reasonablefaith.org. Thank you, Bill.